Um, I had a phone call last night from one of our dear members, Daphne, who's 90 years of age. And uh, she's not here this morning because she's had some health issues. And uh, her doctor has said she shouldn't be going anywhere where there's a large group of people because she's vulnerable at the moment. So I wonder if we could just bow our heads in prayer and just pray for Daphne. Dear Heavenly Father, we just lift our sister Daphne to you. Lord, we thank you for the years of service she's given you. We thank you for her love of you, for her love of people as well. And I just pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon her, Lord, and that you will minister to her where she needs to be touched. And Lord, that she will be able to return to us refreshed and renewed and that we will be able to resume fellowship with her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to... Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's just park that for a minute. One of the scriptures that God has used to get my attention, especially of late, is Romans 10.1, which tells us, uh, uh, where Paul's actually telling us about the Jewish people. And he says, My heart's desire and prayer to, to God is for them that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but it is not according to knowledge. I had a bit of a problem with that. And I thought, why would Paul say such a thing about the Jewish people, about his his kinfolk, about the people of his family? Why would he say that? Why would he also say, my heart's desire is that they be saved? So he's implying here that they were not saved. Why would that be? They have a zeal for God. They are, in fact, part of the chosen Jewish people. But he prays that they would be saved. And to me, something's wrong here. Something's not quite right. These are the chosen people. These are the Jewish people. And Paul is praying that they would be saved. So what's wrong with it? What's wrong with their zeal? Well, Paul answers that in verse 2. He says, It is not according to truth. Sorry, it is not according to knowledge. True knowledge is necessary for salvation. They have zeal, but it is not from knowledge. Let's think about that for a minute. It is not from knowledge. So, I come across this quote from Charles Spurgeon that says, I may know all the doctrines of the Bible, but unless I know Christ, there is not one that can save me. That came from Spurgeon. Now, I can identify what Paul is saying, and I can also identify with what Spurgeon is saying. In 2007, my mother passed away. She had been battling with dementia for a few years, and had also developed what was thought to be either stomach or intestinal cancer or both. I never had much of a relationship with my mother and I suffered pretty badly in childhood at the hands of my mother and without going into detail, which is not appropriate in this setting, suffice to say that she would have been incarcerated for quite some time 
and I would have been a ward of the state had that happened today. Only a matter of weeks before her death, my father managed to get her to go to a church service. She was over at Philip Kennedy Centre over on Military Road, which is a Catholic establishment. My parents were Catholic. And my father managed to get my mother to attend a church service at the Philip Kennedy Centre and she took communion willingly. And Monica and I were there and we witnessed that and we're very pleased to see that she did that. And my understanding is that it was the first time for at least 35 years that she'd ever partaken of communion. She subsequently accepted the Catholic last rites the day before she lapsed into... uh, And she took communion as well on that day... Uh, the day before lapsing into a coma for two weeks and then passing away. Now, why am I telling you this? My mother knew of God. She had her own beliefs, but she resented anyone telling her anything different to what she believed, and she also resented anyone trying to tell anybody else anything different to what she believed. I can recall when I was in primary school, On Wednesday mornings, some of you would remember this, we had religious instructions where uh, various people from the various denominations would come and they'd talk to the kids about God and about their particular denomination. And I remember trying to talk to my grandparents about what we'd been talking about in religious instructions, only to feel my mother grab me by the arm, drag me out of the room and then scold me for trying to talk to my grandparents about religion and about God. Because according to her, they were too old for that sort of thing. Um, She often would ridicule me for being a Christian, um, even as an adult. And she definitely had issues with God and vehemently blamed him for a lot of things that happened in her life that were not of of her liking. She had no time for Christianity and no time for church. But my observations of my mother in that last few weeks of her life was that she behaved differently. Where previously she would not have even thought of taking communion or even set foot inside a church. She went to church willingly. She took communion willingly. She accepted the last rites from the local priest. And it appeared that she suddenly got in touch with God. It appeared that she came to know Jesus, not just know of him. She had a different knowledge of him, from a knowledge of knowing about God to knowing God. The Apostle Paul talks in Romans 10 about zeal, about the passion of the heart of God, and that's important. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven, to love God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your mind. And in Romans 12, 11, Paul says, that's not right. Romans 12, 11, Paul says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Going back to our original scripture in Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, There is one main straightforward thought, and that's in verse 22, where Jesus says, uh, where the writer of the Hebrews says, wherever it is, draw near, draw near to God. 
If we take away all the other defining and qualifying phrases in this scripture, take away everything else except for the main thrust of the thought is draw near. So not only is the the writer of Hebrews telling us to draw near, he's actually giving us only one, only one simple, deep, high, holy, happy, but seemingly impossible challenge to draw near. But it's not the only time in Hebrews that the writer tells us this. He tells us in Hebrews 4.16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace in a time of need. He tells us in Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. In Hebrews 11.6 he says, without faith it is impossible to please him For he who draws near to God must believe that he is. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. For the past three months, we've been practising social distancing. We've been not drawing near to each other. We've been keeping at arm's length, as it were, with each other. But there's a question here. Have we, not just in the last three months, but have we in our lives, without even realising it, practiced social distancing with God? Have we been keeping God at arm's length? Have we been not drawing near to God? Is that something that we sometimes do? Do we sometimes keep God over there somewhere in his little compartment and forget about him sometimes and do our own thing so that we become the focus of our life, not him? Do we sometimes fail to draw near to God? perhaps without realising. I believe that this morning God is reminding us that we must draw near to him, that we come to his throne to find help, that we come to him confident that he will reward us with all that he has for us in Jesus. Up until the end of her life, my mother knew of God. She had not drawn near to him at all. She had kept him away. She kept him in some kind of cupboard, as it were. I don't know for absolute certain that she did reach out. And I don't know for sure whether she did draw near. But she definitely did a few things differently, not long before her death. She definitely appeared to have a different attitude towards God, not long before she died. Now, whether that was her getting in touch with her mortality, knowing that the end was near, I don't know. But I do know that she reacted differently to the things of God than what she had, what I'd ever seen her do before. It was nearly too late for her. It was nearly to a point where if she'd have died not knowing Jesus, then her fate was sealed. What I want to get the message across today is don't leave it too late like my mother did. If you're not sure of your salvation, if you haven't drawn near to God, do it before it's too late. At the end of your life, do you want your family members wondering if you ever drew near to God? Do we ever want our our loved ones 
wondering whether we're in heaven or not. If you know of God, but you're not sure whether you know him personally or not, if you're not sure of your zeal for him, it is not too late to draw near to him. James 4.8 tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God wants you to draw near to him and leave no doubt whatsoever about your salvation. Musicians, can you come back please? If you're struggling with something this morning, can I invite you to draw near to God, to reach out to him? You may remember the story in the Gospel of Matthew about the woman who had a serious health issue for 12 years. What did she do? She said, if only I could reach out and touch the hem of his garment, I will be sealed. Uh, healed. Sealed as well. <laughs> she drew near to God. And what did he do? What did Jesus do when she reached out? He responded to her. He reached out to her. He drew near to her. Nothing is too big for God. Nothing is too difficult for him. Can I encourage you? Reach out, draw near to him, and I guarantee that he will draw near to you. He will respond. Drawing near is not moving from one place to another. It is directing the heart into the presence of God. It is calling out, wanting to know God, to know Jesus personally. He is commanding us to come, to approach him, to draw near to him. Pastor Ben shared this morning about what Judy had shared in the prayer meeting, about God dawning something new, a new season, something new in this church. I believe... One of the things that God wants us to do as part of that is to draw near to him. Judy shared this morning at the prayer meeting a scripture from 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and there's a few other things, but in essence, then will I hear from heaven to heal their land. God will reach out to us if we humble ourselves and reach out to him, if we draw near to him. Perhaps if we could have every eye closed and every head bowed. We've already had a prayer time this morning. But I sense that there's some people here this morning that are struggling with some things. And God is saying, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. God is saying that it only takes a calling out, a reaching out to him, a stretching out of the hand, a directing of the heart towards him. Calling out to him, reach out and see what he can do. Perhaps if there's anybody here that is struggling and didn't take the opportunity earlier, if you'd like some prayer, we can still do that. It's never too late to reach out from God. You know, there's an old saying, it's a bit funny, but... It's true. There's only two times when we need to reach out to God. There's only two times we need to draw near. And that's when we feel like it and when we don't feel like it. 
So even if you don't feel like it this morning, reach out to God. Allow a meeting of the hearts. Allow God to do some work in you. Allow God to touch you. It just needs you to draw near to him. you but uh, I believe that was a really precise God message this morning. Well done Mal. Again we're referring back to um, the pre-service prayer meeting and Judy and Julie had a word of encouragement for Mal and often with my particular gifting when the Holy Spirit's flowing it's not hard to hear something that he wants to share and God gave me something and I thought, and I thought, is, is that for now? And I felt the Lord say, no, it's for the church. And it definitely parallels what Mao was sharing, sharing this morning. For those who have been a Christian for a while, you would have heard this, the scripture mentioned where it talks about break up the fallow ground of your heart. And that's what I got this morning, which is very similar to what Mao was sharing about coming close to God. And so just, I'm, I was never a farmer, but I passed it in Manham for four and a half years, and it's a farming area. And I quickly looked up this morning what fallow ground means. And for some of you who may be connected with farms in the bush, 
basically it's leaving that paddock or field without any sowing any crops, usually for a season, so that it restores some of the nutrients and, and those things in the soil. Um, but, you know, one of the things that doesn't happen that often now, although they're discovering what the Bible talks about with rotating crops and, and leaving a particular paddock to recover, is very beneficial even today. I was quickly Googling. Google knows a lot. And um, basically what happens when you break up your fallow ground, it's like ploughing it over, ready for the seed. And this morning I was just meditating, waiting on, well, God, what does this mean for us as a church? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I believe in prophetic seasons and that sort of things. And often the prophetic seasons, to make it easy for us, God compares that with the natural. And in the season, three months, how long will we shut down? Three months. What happened in that three months? We couldn't do church as we knew it. Some of us, like me, was almost like there was no activity. There wasn't a lot of life, Christian life going on. And you know what? Looking back in hindsight, it wasn't a bad thing. God said, just stop. And I believe one of the problems with the modern church is we don't take seasons of rest. And I think God's forced the church to have a season and a time of rest. All that's happening in the world, politics and the corruption and conspiracies, they can happen. But God still deals with the church. And the church, in the modern church, doesn't rest. We think, oh, we've got the modern nutrients. We can put it back in. We can add to us as, ourselves as Christians. We can build each other up. We can pray uh, as we should in the Holy Ghost, but we don't need to rest. And God's forced the church to rest. And it may be that some of us, you like me, have been resting. And at the end of that three months, I'm thinking, I just feel weird. I just feel empty. Not realising that for me personally, it was a, it was a season where God said, I don't want you to plant anything because what I want to sow in your life and the life of the church is different. And what happens, and I was reading this in Google about the fallow ground, one of the good things is there's so many nutrients that come up through the soil and you can't replace everything with modern fertilisers and all the chemicals. And things actually come into the soil and come up from the soil, but also, also you get weeds. And one of the reasons they have to turn over the soil ready for planting is because it's covered. As you, you drive out and you'll see a paddock's been left for a season, it's covered in weeds. And you like me, and I'm thinking, oh, gee, I've got some stuff in my life that's just sitting there. But at the end of that season, now I feel that God can do something. And I shared with Pastor Ben last week, I said, I think what God's doing with me during this season, I said, I don't feel that God wants me to be preaching in the traditional sense, but here I am. But I said to Ben, I think God wants to increase the input of my prophetic input or gifting in the life of the church and individually. And Ben calls it cameos. <laughs> Julie said, what's cameos? But it's who we are. And But for that to happen, understand this is a church. It's been a season of rest and God's now, for some of us, wanting to plough it over. Turn it over. And that can be an uncomfortable process. Why? Because our life as Christians primarily is to relate, as Mao said, to Him, but to be fruitful. And you can't be fruitful unless we rest in God, come to God, and then let Him turn us over to do what He wants to do with us. And it's a good thing. So I want to encourage you, and, and, and Mao's word, it ties together. We need to let God turn us over. It can be uncomfortable so that He can make you fruitful in a way that, and, and bring forth a new crop that's different.
and how he turns the soil is can be new as well.